You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a Certified Medical Director in Long-Term Care. This is a special edition of Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine recorded at the AMA House of Delegates meeting in Chicago, Illinois on June 15, 2010. We're here today at the 2010 AMA House of Delegates meeting with Dr. Lori Heim, President of the American Academy of Family Physicians, to discuss the medical home. Welcome, Dr. Heim. The American Medical Directors Association has worked with the AAFP for a number of years on certain issues, none of which are more important than the concept of the medical home. We're happy to have you here today to discuss issues related to the medical home. Great, thanks. Glad to be here. Well, tell us about the concept of medical home and how it's evolving. Well, the patient-centered medical home was developed by the primary care organizations. The four main organizations put out the principles, and that was the AAFP, AOA, ACP, and AAP. Those principles really talked about how do we restructure care delivery. And it was focused on primary care, although we understand that there may be other subspecialists or multi-specialty groups that would actually be able to retool their practice in such a way that they would qualify as a patient-centered medical home. And the important thing about this is primary care needed to refocus on coordination of care, on access to care. We do a great job of taking care of patients who present to our offices. My practice, when I was in private practice, I had a diabetic who had hypertension, depression, et cetera, all these comorbidities. When they presented, I did a very, very good job of making sure that their total care was managed. What I know I fell down on, though, were the patients who were out in the community who were late to come see me. And I didn't have a good way of being able to track those. Now, when I was in the military, I had rosters of all of my population. I knew when Mary was late coming in for a mammogram. And if Mary happened to come in for a cold, I would get flagged to say, "Up, oh, Mary, we're going to get your mammogram done. Those are the sorts of things that just a snippet of what retooling your office has to do for the patient-centered medical home. It took a while for patients, even in our practice, to come in with a cold and find out that they were going to get a mammogram. That's a concept that was hard to come by, but I think our patients are beginning to understand that. Why don't you talk a little bit more about the patient-centeredness of that whole concept? I think from the very beginning, if you look at it, as a patient now tries to present to a primary care or to any physician, what's one of the biggest complaints that you hear? They can't get in. So it doesn't do you any good if you have a doctor that you can't see when you need to see him. Now, it may be at times that you don't need to see the physician. You may need asynchronous communication, be that web-based or communication, email, etc. It may be that you need to be seen in the office, but not by the physician, by one of the physician extenders or other members on the team, including nurse who's doing education, who's helping with monitoring, etc. So from the patient's standpoint, it really ought to be getting the care that they need when they need it from the person who is best designed to do that. As physicians, 
We're often not very good about working in teams, and I think that patients appreciate teamwork. The access is key. So it's also about restructuring your office so that you have that availability. So ideas like open access or advanced access are very important. Fast tracks so that people who have time-limited appointments that are very condition-specific can get in and get out. Things such as extended hours. What does your patient population need? My population, again, from private practice, they were primarily geriatric. They didn't want to be out in evenings. They wanted to be home. So having extended evening hours for that population group really didn't make much sense. But how often does a practice know what does their patient population want? Have they done patient satisfaction surveys? How do you structure things that works for the patient? Now, there's another component that is critical to a successful patient-centered medical home, and that talks about what happens to the care of the patient outside that face-to-face visit. Well, face-to-face is the way we've been paying for health care for a long time, and acute care is what we've been paying for for a long time. What are the proposals that are out there to really take care of that physician and his or her team to reimburse for the issues that you're talking about? Well, we have advocated for what we've called a blended payment model. Fee-for-service obviously has the wrong incentives for many different reasons. But, as you say, it is the payment model that we know. So it's not going to go away in any short amount of time. I do think that it may be eclipsed over time. But the other component that we're also all familiar with as physicians is the pay for improvement. And so what those two payment models are trying to do is balance incentives. You have a fee-for-service model that encourages overuse. You have performance measures that should encourage quality measures, so those would balance out. Now, the other component that we have advocated, which is new, is is a per-member, per-month. And it's not a totally new model, but it needs to be the floor of all of this payment model. What that recognizes, that per-member, per-month, is all of the work that goes into managing your patient population that occurs outside of the office visit. It is that coordination of care. So when I'm now a hospitalist, when a patient comes to me and I am covering for the community physician, I need to be able to communicate with that family physician or that primary care physician. That's totally outside of any face-to-face visit, and the community physician is not being paid for any of that work that is so critical in all of these handoffs and all of this coordinated care. Likewise, tracking referrals and having the systems within the practice to be able to say, I referred you to a cardiologist, but I didn't get a report back. What happened? Why? If it's important enough that I refer a patient, then I need to make sure that that loop gets closed. So the per member per month is really to take care of all of those sort of system changes and additional work outside. The other component that is not in the payment model, but I think will be in the next iteration as we move forward, is how do we financially incentivize the rest of the neighborhood? So whether or not this is through an accountable care organization, 
whether or not it's some morphine of the patient-centered medical home neighborhood idea, we have to also recognize that the other facilities or other physicians who get involved with the patient care also needs to be incentivized to work with us. So a long-term care facility, for example, we have patients that move from the community physician's office, perhaps to the hospital, to the acute care. From there, may move to a long-term facility. Now, there are multiple physicians involved with all of those transitions. At a certain point, everyone needs to be incentivized for the coordination of care. In the long-term facility setting, it's a little bit different in that the patient-centered medical home may, in fact, completely change. And so, depending upon the condition, um, it may be that the community physician who was a patient-centered medical home will step out of that role for a time being or for a permanent period. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from Reach MD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Tangalos, and I'm here today at the 2010 AMA House of Delegates meeting with Dr. Lori Heim president of the American Academy of Family of Physicians, to discuss the medical home. Let's continue with the discussion about neighborhoods and communities. Nursing homes are now reorganizing into communities, so the concept of a, a medical home fits very, very nicely. Sometimes our membership is worried that we're being left out of this growing discussion about medical homes. Tell us about where nursing homes fit in with this concept. I think the difficulty is that with nursing homes, it's oftentimes not their community physician who continues to take care of them when they get admitted to a long-term care facility. And so a lot of that continuity gets lost. And I think that one of the important aspects will be if a nursing home wants to be considered as a patient-centered medical home, that brings with it the obligation to manage, again, all of the aspects dealing with that patient. We have often said that it's really not the physician that is the patient-centered medical home. It is the practice. The practice, whether it be in a long-term facility would then have to meet the same sort of criteria. It would be a little different because obviously their total needs are being met as opposed to just their health care needs. But the same basic principles of delivering care that is patient-centered or person-centered instead of staff-centered, of making sure that the care is coordinated, that appropriate age and functionality prevention is accomplished, all of those still ring true regardless of the setting. They really do. And I think most of our physicians in long-term care would say that, you know, they provide this complete service along with a very well-defined healthcare multidisciplinary team for a number of years. Our average length of stay for patients is two and a half to three years at, at most facilities. Some come and go, but many stay for long periods of time. And the concept seems to hold up pretty well. I think it's very interesting. It would be important to, I think, look at some of the criteria. There are, right now, I think, a developing body of sort of designating firms. NCQA was the first out. Our academy, through TransferMed, has had a 
transform it IQ test. So how patient-centered is your practice? Because it gave our members in particular the ability to go through their practice and say, what are the things that I need to improve on? What am I already doing well? And if I were to apply, where would I score out? And I think that there will be more. But I would encourage anyone who's interested in patient-centered medical home to probably look at that, and they can go to transfermed, T-R-A-N-S-F-O-R-M-E-D dot org, and it's a free test to sort of see where would they fall if they were to score out now. And I think it starts the discussion amongst all of us of how do we retool practices or settings so that we really focus more on what does the patient and the family need. As we wind down, what other concepts, what are other changes that we can anticipate in the next few years as the medical home continues to evolve? I think that we'll see an increased emphasis in the patient-centered medical home on trying to focus on continuity and comprehensiveness of care. Those are the two components that right now we don't have good scoring for within the NCQA that I think are critical if we're going to get at the cost savings and the quality to bring the value in for the patient. And I think we're going to see various models in payment. What is the right blend of fee-for-service performance improvement, and per-member-per-month payment so that we get those incentives correctly aligned. All right, what else would AAFP like to see occur now as this meeting winds down here in Chicago? I think one of the big things we've been looking for is reaffirmation of the independence of guidelines that NCQA and the U.S. Preventative Task Force has done an excellent job in terms of looking at the literature and assessing population. And I'm hopeful and I think that we will come out of this week with the AMA asserting that no one particular body should be the guideline agency. Well, and I also think that you've hit on a theme that you've carried through this whole interview as well, is that we're really shifting away from the individual to talking about populations and how to manage them. I really would like to thank my guest from uh, the American Academy of Family Physicians, Dr. Lori Heim, for being with us today. Dr. Heim, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. Thank you. I enjoyed it. You've been listening to a special edition of Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, recorded at the AMA House of Delegates meeting in Chicago, Illinois, on June 15, 2010. You have been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.